0: Coming up on this week's show, Kim Fielding is here as part of the 2017 GRL Blog Tour, and Brandilyn has a summertime audiobook recommendation.
1: Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Kanaus.
2: Welcome to episode 91 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from JeffAdamsRights.com.
0: And I'm Will from WillCanals.com. This week's episode is sponsored in part by listeners just like you. We'll have more information on how you can help support this show
2: in just a few moments.
0: How long have I been saying that?
2: Um, probably like twenty-six or twenty-seven <laughs> weeks now, because we started it in January. That's true. It's only taken me half a year, and I have
0: finally memorized that two-sentence spiel.
2: (laughs) And he used to act in community theater and learn whole scripts. Congratulations to me. Anyway, okay. (laughs) Welcome home. Yes, welcome home. We got back on Wednesday, Tuesday this week. Tuesday this week. Had a lovely trip abroad. Abroad. (laughs) I don't think they count the other coast as abroad. I count it. Simply by plane time? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yes, it was a good trip. We'll be talking about that a bunch more uh, coming up in a bit. Yeah. So there was ultimate, ultra, ult- awesome good news uh, while we were away. Uh, Schooled, which is the second book in the Codename Winger series, went under contract at Harmony Inc. I got that email just as we landed in New York on uh, Thursday afternoon. So that was kind of cool to see that drop right into the inbox. Mm-hmm. That will come out uh, targeting a spring 2018 release. And of course, book one called Tracker Hacker will be out in October of this year. Cool, yay! <laughs> You're supposed to say "yay" or something. Yay! Yeah, I'm very, I am very proud of you. <laughs> I'm very glad. It's almost old news for us now because <laughs> it happened like a week ago. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that happened while we were on break from recording was I did an appearance on the Out Entrepreneur Podcast, which is hosted by Rhodes Perry. I met Rhodes doing the. Uh, Cycle so for the Cause ride, the Northeast AIDS ride, about two or three years ago and uh, got to know him and understand what he does. He's a consultant who can work with companies to make sure that they're including their LGBT employees in a good and positive fashion. He also works out entrepreneurs so that they know they need to be their authentic selves when operating in the workplace. And he invited me on to talk about kind of my role as an author-entrepreneur, which we kind of expanded to become the creative entrepreneur to kind of widen the, the palette a little bit. Um, I know you listened to the show, and you said I kind of did okay, because I was a little worried that I was kind of being, just babbling off of the mouth, so. I thought it was a very good episode. You have nothing to worry about. Very good. Uh, if you want to hear that appearance, uh, there's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to outentrepreneur.com. And check out episode 26. I really like his podcast. I listen to it a lot Mm -hmm. because he brings on people who, even though most of them don't talk about author and writing and creative, there's a little something to pick up in these entrepreneurial podcasts uh, that help out with what we do as creative entrepreneurs ourselves.
0: Cool. Awesome. Mm. So since this is our first time back recording in a while, we have some patrons to thank. Woohoo! Uh, A very big thank you to our newest patrons, Terry and Maureen. Welcome. Now, you can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as 25 cents an episode, your pledge helps pay the costs of producing and distributing this podcast. Now, for those fans who pledge at our silver and gold levels, you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests. And you can get details on how to become a patron at patreon.com slash Podcast.
2: That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash Big a Fiction Podcast. Well done. So you've done that for six months now, too, and you've you got it down there to a science <laughs> pretty, now. Pretty much. Pretty much. So we're excited to welcome uh, Kim Fielder to the podcast. Kim is our first person to be on the show as part of the 2017 GRL blog tour, which will be running until uh, October, the week that GRL happens, uh, which I believe is the week of October 16th. Uh, so we welcome Kim. She's going to talk to us about her summer plans. Her love of audiobooks, both having her books turned into audiobooks and actually listening to them herself. Plus, she's got a giveaway for you guys too. Uh, she's given away an audiobook as well as an ebook, so let's listen to that. I'm excited to welcome Kim Field into the podcast as part of the 2017 GRL Blog Tour. Kim is the best-selling author of numerous MM romance novels, novellas, and short stories. Like Kim herself, her work is eclectic, spanning genres such as contemporary, fantasy, paranormal, and historical. Her stories are set in alternate worlds in 15th century Bosnia and in modern day Oregon. Her heroes are hipster architect werewolves, housekeepers, maimed giants, and conflicted grad students. They're usually flawed. They often encounter terrible obstacles, but they always find love, which is always, of course, awesome. Welcome, Kim.
3: Thank you for having me. It's a delight.
2: Yeah, we're excited to kick off the GRL blog tour with you. Uh,
4: At least our part of it,
2: anyway. So tell us, what have you been up to this summer?
3: Well, the summer's been busy so far. Today, I submitted my twenty-first novel to the publisher, so that was Congrats. that was exciting. Yeah, so that that's exciting. Um, but the rest of June, I was doing a road trip. My daughter, my older daughter, graduated from high school, and so I thought it would be a good job, to a good time to kind of drag her on the road. So we drove from California to Nebraska, which she was very excited about. It, you know, seventeen years old. Nebraska is where you want to go. So we drove to Nebraska and we saw Carhenge and it was very exciting. And then we went up to the Black Hills in South Dakota and came back across Montana, went to Oregon and came back down to California. So that's a little over almost 4,500 miles. Wow. Yeah.
2: Are you going to get a book out of that trip?
3: I'm sure. I've already got a lot of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> awesome.
2: Because I'm sure, I, I think you probably went through some very eclectic spaces between all, the, we did. all, all those
3: miles. We stayed at some funky, just some really fun little motels in places like Wyoming and South Dakota, and just saw some really, a lot of empty space, a lot of sagebrush, a whole lot of antelope, you know, so it was a lot of fun.
2: Nice. Now, with your self-published books, you you tend to give your royalties to charity. Tell us how that got started, and, and what charity you support.
3: Well, the charity that I primarily support is Doctors Without Borders, just because they do such... I mean, I can't, it's hard to think of a charity that's doing more meaningful, more needed work, and and they're 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 not political. They're, they're I mean, those those people are they're risking their lives, which you know I'm not a doctor. I can't I can't do that. So it's kind of my way of of trying to do that. And so I started it several years ago when I first self-published before I even had other publishers. And I, it's just you know it's a way for me to give back. Um, and it doesn't. You know, sometimes I can't give as much as I might want out of my paycheck, so this way I can I can do it. It gives me a little extra incentive sometimes to do some self-publishing, and I'm able to give them a really nice hefty check at the end of the year.
2: That's awesome. What's kind of your ratio of self published to publish publisher these days?
3: Um, I would say probably about... 90% of what I do is, is publisher rather than self-published and self-published. I tend to do um, shorter pieces. Um, some, I have some older pieces that I, do, that I've done. I have some things that are available for free as novellas, but I've self-published the audiobooks and, and those, I also donate those
2: proceeds too. So mm-hmm. now speaking of audio, you've got about a dozen audiobooks out there. What attracts that to you as a format for your work?
3: I'm a really big fan of audiobooks. I listen to them a lot. Um, I I like to walk. It's my primary exercise. And so the thing that gets me out the door is, is, is audiobooks. And, you know, if I'm listening to a really great audiobook, It'll often keep me walking an extra couple of blocks like if I'm at a really good part or something like that so so that's the big part is, is I guess it's kind of a kind of a, a vanity it's I love listening to them and it, there's nothing more fun than listening to my own words being read and there's some, there are some amazingly talented voice actors out there so so I guess the main thing is that it's I'm a fan but I think also um, audiobooks can reach a wider audience, you know, people who who can't who don't read in print at all for various reasons. People who like to listen while they're commuting, that kind of thing. But and it's a it's a different experience than reading on paper, too. Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. I, I would certainly agree with that because I've, I've gotten more into audio over the last couple of years. Um, what are some of your favorite audios? Just to put you on the spot.
3: Uh, my, I, I have to say, one of my very favorite ones to listen to is um, Jordan Castillo Price's Psychop series. I'm such a huge fan of those. I can't wait for the next one to come out on audio. And I mean, I mean, they're great to read, but, but the narrator also does a really, Gomez Pierce is the narrator. He does really excellent job and they are just so much fun. And those are ones, I don't know how many extra miles I've walked listening to those. So.
2: <laughs> yeah. Usually I get stuck in the car. It's like, I have to get out of the car now, but we're at this best right. point right now.
3: do a driveway moment. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So you mentioned that you, you submitted your 21st book today. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about that and like what's coming up down the road from you and what you're working on now?
3: Sure. I'm at a point, it's almost a little bit frustrating. I have at this moment four complete novels that are all in various stages of having things done to them. So, um, so that one I just submitted, I've got another one also under submission. The one I just submitted is a contemporary about a guy who builds a library, so that's I think close to lots of people's hearts.
2: Okay, I already like um, this guy if he's building exactly. a library.
3: <laughs> well, he starts out, you know, he's got too many books. He's got a, a bit of a problem. And if you could see slightly to my right, you would see that that may be something I empathize <laughs> with a little bit. So he builds a, um, a, a like a little free library, one of the little neighborhood lending libraries. So that one, um, that one I just submitted. I also have a, uh, a noir private eye story set in a medieval fantasy setting that i have currently under submission so that one's fun i have um coming out in november i'll have a um with Dreamspun. i'll have a um, v- mafia vampires in vegas story coming out that was really really fun to write and then next may i'll have a um contemporary coming out with the dream spun line and that one is about a, a big city lawyer and a small town cook
2: I assume that that uh, the Vegas one is for Dreamspun Beyond. That that yeah, newer so the Beyond paranormal line. line, awesome. Yeah,
3: yeah. So which is, I, I love writing. You know, paranormal is one of my favorite, my favorite genre. So it was a lot of fun, and it has, like I said, ma- I mean, mafia vampires in Vegas. How could you not want that?
2: Absolutely. I mean, you've already got hipster architect werewolves. So <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> And I have to kind of give credit because that, the idea for that one came when um, Amy Lane and I were driving last year to uh, um, the, the RT convention in Vegas, and we stopped for gas in Prim, which is just over the the, uh, the Nevada-California border, and there's like three casinos in the middle of the desert, and we were thinking that would be a really great place for lazy mobsters to store bodies, you know, because you don't have to go very far to chuck them into the desert from there. So that that's how I got that idea.
2: Nice. so what are you looking forward to at GRL this year
3: this sounds a little bit trite but the most fun for me is just the people I mean Mm -hmm. seeing seeing my friends who I see maybe once a year and I missed GRL last year so some people I haven't seen for a couple years getting to meet new people it is always so much fun and you know as as authors we spend a lot of time kind of closed up in our little spaces and inside our heads so to be able to to interact with actual live human beings is a lot of fun
2: (laughs) (laughs) that is a good time and you're right always get always getting to go back and see folks you see once a year is is a treat for sure
3: and I've met I've met such wonderful friends at the previous GRLs I mean people that I keep in touch with now all the time and it's it's that's that's for me that's the that's the the best part of it
4: Mm -hmm.
2: now I know you've got a giveaway for our listeners to go along with your your appearance here so what what have you got for them
3: i've got a couple of things i have so the winner will get a audio one of my self-published audiobooks and it's a book called flux um and joel leslie does the narration and does an amazing job of it so it's a it's a it's a fantasy book so they'll get a copy of that and they'll also get a copy of the um, ebook version in in format of their choice of uh, my book um um Love is heartless, which is a contemporary, with a bit of a suspense backstory.
2: Very cool. That that's going to be exciting for somebody to get for sure. And we'll we'll offer that up the entire week that this uh, podcast is out there. Wonderful. Now, what's the best way for people to keep up with you online and all these books you've got coming out?
3: <laughs> probably the very best way is I've got a I've got a, a web page. It's Kay Fielding Writes. And so that one has, I keep, I try to keep my blog up to date. One of the fun things I do there is I have a thing going called interview roulette and I have a bunch of authors usually once a week come in and I ask them random questions and they have some really fun answers. So that's fun. But there's also a list of all my books and things I'm going to, Um, but you can also catch me on Facebook and it's all K Fielding Rights will get you to me at any of these. So Facebook, on Twitter, on Tumblr, if you want to see some of my Vacation pictures from my from my trip. If you want to see um, the capital of Nebraska, its its uh, nickname is the Penis of the Plains. So if anybody wants to see <laughs> why, they can see that. Uh, and uh, so they can see that. They can see Buffalo. Uh, we visited um, Devil's Tower. So that's all up on, on Tumblr.
2: <laughs> Amazing. Well, we'll link up to all that stuff in our show notes for sure, so that people can check all that stuff out. I will certainly be going to the Tumblr to just check out all the pictures. Wonderful. Uh, from the from the flat travels that you had <laughs> across the country. <laughs> well, Kim, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us. We look forward to seeing you in Denver in a few months.
3: Thank you so much for interviewing me. It's been a joy.
2: The Big Gay Fiction Podcast is thrilled to once again partner with Gay Romlet as a featured blogger. You can see all the participating blogs and the full GRL blog tour schedule at gayromlet.com slash 2017 tour. Gay Romblet is an annual retreat that brings together the people who create and celebrate LGBT romance for a -a one-of-a-kind, must-attend gathering of dynamic, informal, and diverse fun. Each year, the retreat travels to a new city and hosts tons of events, from raucous parties to mellow tete-a-tetes, while still maintaining a spirit of familiarity. GRL is the place to connect with old friends, find family you didn't know you had, and meet with both newly published and established authors in the gay romance genre. This year's retreat is set for October 19-22 through 22 in Denver, Colorado at the Denver Marriott Tech Center. For more information or to register, please visit gayromlet.com.
1: Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post, news about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash Big Gay Fiction Podcast and see what we get up to next. So thanks again to
2: Kim for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Make sure you check the show notes page for the raffle rafflecopter so you can enter to win uh, either the audiobook or the ebook that she's got. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff indeed. Okay, as I mentioned
0: in last week's episode, this week is primarily going to be us talking about our whirlwind tour of New York City and all the shows that we saw, and we saw a whole bunch of them. So if you um, if you hate theater. <laughs> Which I can't, I can't imagine why anyone would uh, not listen
2: to this show anyway. Yeah, I know.
0: You could probably fast forward to the very end. We got some more uh, book content uh, towards the end of this particular episode, but now, now is the time when we speak about the theater. Indeed. So we uh, last week uh, took a short drive down to San Francisco uh, for the first leg. Of the Jeff and Will
2: Theater Tour 2017. I think it's the first time we've <laughs> split it up into two different cities. Uh, it might be. I think it might be. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. But it was worth it because show number one on the tour was the, the phenomenon of Hamilton. Never could see it in New York. Had to wait till it came on tour in San Francisco to actually get tickets to it. It was totally worth that eight hours online waiting to get tickets.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: it's, it was exciting to see a show that to me lived up to every bit of its type, mm-hmm. uh, which in my view doesn't happen often enough. I could list off a number of shows that were like, Oh my God, best thing ever. And it's like, eh, okay. I get it. I really get it with Hamilton. I was blown away. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you
0: who have been living under a rock, um, <laughs> Hamilton is of course the story of Alexander Hamilton in sort of
2: pop, rap, musical terms. I thought it really by... encompassed, like... <laughs> it, it had pop and rap, but typical Broadway show tunes. Exactly. And it, it, was a, it was a nice mishmash of, of mm-hmm. genre mm-hmm. and style. Pinned by uh, the genius, uh,
0: Lynn manuel Miranda. Um, Jeff and I have, pr- uh, whether on purpose or not... Uh, I don't really listen to a whole lot of music in general anyway. We have not listened to... We're like the two people in North America <laughs> who have not downloaded this this CD and listened to it uh, 100,000 times. Uh, so we went into Hamilton completely fresh, not really knowing anything mm-hmm. about the music or the structure of the show itself. Um, Lin-Manuel uh, was fascinated by the um, biography of Hamilton that came out a couple of years ago. I think the story is he was reading it on vacation for some light reading. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And he was completely sucked in and he thought this would make a damn good musical. And boy, did it ever. Like I said, it encompasses um, all different styles of music and really uh, blends Mm -hmm. them uh, in a really beautiful, unique way um what i was i like you i was completely blown away and it 100 percent lives up to all of the hype Uh, um there's a reason why you can't get this ticket in new york and probably won't be able to for many years to come uh it's because it's really that damn good uh Mm -hmm. first off uh kudos to this touring cast uh every single one of them was utterly exceptional i loved everyone yes everyone was fantastic um, what else did I want to say? Oh, something that struck me while watching this show is, is that not only is all of the music, of course, exceptional and all of the, you know, the casting, everyone is really, really damn good. I think, um, with the combination of the staging itself and the choreography by Andy Blankenbuehler, the show really is so intricately detailed and And the entire thing, from the beginning to the very end, it runs like a Swiss watch.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, There's not, the music, there's not a single wasted word. And on stage, visually, there's not a single wasted movement anywhere during the, like, two hours and 45 minutes. Um, It's,
2: uh, it is genuinely exceptional. I really can't think of any other word to I was, kind of, I was I was going to mention the same thing kind of about the choreography and the staging. I was, you know, often you feel like you could take a show away from its staging and just present it in a concert style, for example, and just have the music <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. done. I can't imagine Hamilton without the movement and the choreography and that staging mm-hmm. because it all works so well together. And I mean, kudos to the creative team across the board for just making all that happen. And yeah, I'd love to see it again. I probably won't get to see it for like, another, like a decade or something <laughs> until it starts to maybe, you know, dip out just a little bit. I think, I really think our government would work a lot better if it had to all happen in rap battles. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because that'd be a hoot.
0: Exactly. Okay. So after Hamilton, we hopped on an airplane, deluxe fancy upgraded airplane, by the way. It was the fanciest <laughs>
2: upgrade I've ever had in my
0: life. <laughs> and we made our way to New York City. Um, we What was really actually very, very nice, uh, and hopefully we will be able to repeat again on future trips... Is, is that um, taking the first leg of our trip uh, and starting our day in San Francisco meant we could take the earliest possible flight to the East Coast, which meant that we got there in the afternoon instead of wasting an entire day on an mm-hmm. airplane and getting there in the late evening, which is how um, all of our New York usually, yeah. usually go. Um, so, yeah, tra- traveling to the e- from west to east is a pain in the butt because of the three-hour difference. Um, it kind of, you know, uh, sort of steals your entire day. Uh, so I was really happy mm-hmm. uh, that we, we got a first thing at the crack of dawn and uh, started our flight. And we got there in the afternoon, which meant we could check into our hotel. We could relax a little bit. Uh, We walked down to the seaport and got our uh,
2: TKTS ticket for that evening, and we went and saw... Ta-da! The Little Foxes, starring Cynthia Nixon, Laura Linney, Richard Thomas, and Michael McKeon. Yeah. Uh, Amazing. Amazing. I've never seen the movie, so how my husband, the Betty Davis fan, has never put this movie in front of me to see. Uh, But this was a great show in and of itself, and then you put Laura Linney and Cynthia Nixon at the heart of it, and it just gets elevated all that much more. Sadly, this show, if you haven't seen it, you're not going to because it actually closes uh, the day we're recording this on July 2nd after an extended an extended limited engagement mm-hmm. uh, for the Manhattan Theater Club. I'm going to let you explain what it's about because you're much better at these things. As I've often said on this show. Um, Okay, well, this particular
0: uh, production was a revival of the Lillian Hellman classic. I believe it made its debut probably in the 40s I would assume,
2: yeah.
1: Uh,
0: Super late 30s, probably early 40s. And the revival starred, as Jeff mentioned, Cynthia Nixon, uh, Tony Award winner, and Laura Linney in the two main female roles. And what was really uh, interesting about this particular production is that Cynthia and Laura uh, swapped roles. Mm -hmm. uh, Every few days. Every couple of days. Um, Now, there have been productions in the past where the two male leads would swap uh, every
2: other evening. Uh, Was it... American Buffalo, I believe, did that. Between... I can't even think of... (laughs) John C. Riley was half of that team that did. it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't okay. remember the other I one. I know what you're
0: talking about now.
2: Yeah. Might have been Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman opposite him, possibly, possibly. So
0: this this kind of stunt casting is, quote unquote, stunt stunt casting is not exactly you know new, but um, having two actresses of this caliber uh, in this particular play uh, doing uh, the production. Um, and this kind of format is, was new and interesting. They would play uh, the two roles, the main role, uh, Regina Giddens, and uh, the secondary supporting female role of Aunt Bertie. And they would swap every couple of days. Uh, when we went and saw it, Cynthia was playing the lead, uh, Regina Giddens, and Laura was playing the supporting role. Uh, both of them, of course, were absolutely phenomenal uh, really incredible.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, as Jeff said, I am familiar with this particular property because of the Betty Davis movie. Um I've never actually seen the play or read the play itself. So this was a new experience for me as well. Um, the movie uh, sticks very closely. Uh, to the original source material. Uh, It kind of edits it down a little bit for, you know, a standard movie running time. Uh, But um, all of the elements from the play are in the movie, and I really uh, enjoyed seeing the sort of expanded content of the original three-act play. Mm -hmm. The play itself happens in the uh, sort of post-Reconstructionist South, uh, almost... uh, at the turn of the century. uh, And it mainly focuses on a powerful Southern family and their attempt to bring in uh, some Northern financing to build a cotton mill in their uh, little hometown. And uh, uh, the three main uh, members of this Southern family are uh, putting up the money. Now, Regina Giddens is the sister of this rich and wealthy family and uh in order to put in her share she essentially has to get permission from her ailing husband he's uh had heart problems and he's been away uh and so they have to convince him to come back to town so they can get the money and this big big financial deal can move forward so it's really about sort of backroom dealings and uh weird uh southern family dynamics and uh all sorts of uh melodrama and awesomeness i think it's uh a really great play Mm -hmm. really interesting play uh
2: and this particular production was exceptional yeah i loved it to bits um i really wish we could have gone back at some point and seen that would have been nice the flip-flop of of the two actresses uh changing off on the roles Mm -hmm. And frankly, I'd love to see the next act of this. Because while the play does have an ending, the, what the family was doing was not over yet. <laughs> um, it was just epically like backbiting like you've never seen it. I loved it. You yes. made for a lovely evening. Yes. So on Friday, we had an empty social lot. We had not pre-bought tickets to anything. And I went uptown early uh, to try and get tickets to see Bette Midler in Hello Dolly because... That was sold out from the moment we tried to start booking this trip. What they do, however, is they sell, for any performance that sold out, pretty much all of them that bets in, uh, they sell standing room only tickets uh, when the box office opens at 10 a.m. So I got in line about 9 o'clock, uh, I was 6th in line, hung out, listened to an audio book. So that was enjoyable, <laughs> having just an audio book to listen to and finish up in my ear. Um And I was lucky enough to score two standing room tickets. So we're standing in the back of the house, uh, behind the last row of the orchestra, for a paltry $47. The people in front of us paid 199 for a seat. (laughs) We're just right behind them for like $150 less. It was pretty awesome. Uh, This was stunning. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've never seen Hello, Dolly! the film. I've never seen a production. Uh, It's old school vaudeville theater. Bette Midler, incredible, totally deserved her Tony Award. But her entire supporting cast, David Hyde Pierce, Gavin Creel, um, was it Kate Burton, I believe, also in that show?
0: Uh, Yes. Yeah? Yes.
2: Um, Just extraordinary. It was was two and a half hours of just good old-fashioned fun and frivolity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I don't think I need to explain to anyone what Hello Dolly is about. Um, You probably know what it is. Like Jeff, I've never been a particular fan of the movie, which is sacrilege, but I'm just not. And the only production of Hello, Dolly! I've ever seen was a high school production um, uh, that someone did like 25 years ago. So I remembered almost nothing about it. Um, And uh, I have to say, well, this was a pretty good reintroduction to the material. Mm -hmm. Um, Good old-fashioned classic Jerry Herman score. Uh, A wonderful, funny uh, book, and uh, I just loved it. Um, This was our first experience doing Standing Room. Uh, This is probably the only uh, play we can imagine doing Standing Room for. I would do Standing Room for Hamilton again. That's a possibility. That's a possibility. Um, But Standing Room wasn't that bad, actually. Standing for two and a half hours isn't that
2: hard. I mean, no, not really, <laughs> and, and we did have a comfortable bar in front of us. There was the back wall of the orchestra that came up probably to just shoulder, just about shoulder height for us, so we could you know lean against this wall. We could put our head on this wall. <laughs> I was never uncomfortable that, or fidgety too mm-hmm. much, and especially with so much enthralling stagecraft happening exactly. in front of us exactly. So, yay! Thumbs up, Bette Midler and company. Yeah, Uh, and try the SRO. If you're in the New York area or going, uh, we did it on a Friday morning. Like I said, I got there at 9, even though it was, you know, school's out, tourists are out, not everybody knows about it. So, that's an option if you're in the area and want to see it. I mean, I was out of the line by 10.30, so... Yeah, yeah. Also worth
0: noting that uh, before we went to the show, uh, Friday became our sort of designated bookstore day Mm -hmm. in New York. Uh, I'm very thankful that I have a husband who takes me (laughs) to bookstores and shows while I'm on vacation. That's all I really need to be happy. That's all I need, too. Um, So, yeah, we uh, ran around most of Lower Manhattan, and
2: we went to... Well, I drug you to Upper Manhattan for, well, at least Midtown Manhattan. Well, it's more, well, Midtown. To his least favorite place to go, which is Columbus Circle. Uh, But we did check out the Amazon store that's in uh, the Time Warner Center. Yes, we checked out the Amazon store. We checked out the uh, Bureau. Mm -hmm. The Bureau of Queer Services General Division. At the center Mm -hmm. on 14th Street. Where we also got to see a NYPD car that was decked out for Pride. Uh, Kudos to the NYPD uh, for celebrating Pride in such a large uh, fashion. We saw one of their vehicles that was all rainbow painted for the season, and we also the the few minutes we were actually at the Pride Parade on Sunday, we saw the NYPD contingent marching by. Yeah, pretty awesome.
0: Uh, what a,
2: we also we, hit just a Barnes and Noble. Uh, yes, we
0: did. We peeked into uh, Barnes and Noble yeah. and, and bought some toys. Yes,
2: we didn't buy books at Barnes & Noble, but we we bought toys.
0: Because you buy toys at Barnes & Noble, that's what you do. Okay, so,
2: moving back. Back to theater. Back to theater. Saturday afternoon. Saturday afternoon. Um, We saw the other Tony-winning musical. Hello, Dolly, of course, won the Tony this year for Best Revival. Dear Evan Hansen uh, most justifiably won the Tony for Best Musical of the Year. Another show that, to me, lived up to every bit of a type uh, and was just tremendous. Have you, had you downloaded the album before we left? No. Okay. Um, and to actually clarify for Hamilton, too, for both Evan Hansen and Hamilton, my most of my, other than just hearing about the show, uh, was mostly based off of Tony Award performances. So mm-hmm. Hamilton did the uh, kind of medley in, in the 2016 awards, and then uh, Dear Evan Hansen uh, did Waving Through the Window. Uh, for its performance, and that was really it. Other than and kind of knowing the stories themselves, I'd stayed away from it so I could kind of come at it fresh and not knowing the lyrics already and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, this show was really extraordinary in so many ways. It's a very modern musical. It it really takes a look at the modern issues of being a teenager of, you know, f- not not feeling like you belong. Um, Being cut off from society because there's so much social media that it's easy just to kind of look at everything happening rather than participating in it. Um, A complex story. I think it's one of the most complex emotional stories that I've seen on Broadway since Next to Normal Mm -hmm. several seasons ago. Um, Ben Platt was over the top. Just extraordinary. I don't know how he performs this show Eight times a week, without kind of short circuiting a little bit, because he goes through so many heavy emotional moments in this show, um, trying to figure out how to to say what it's kind of about without giving too much of it away. Well, it's,
0: it is a Pasic and Paul show, yes, and quite un and I'm sorry, quite like um, uh, next to normal. Uh, it deals with kind of fucked up family dynamics. That's a good way to put it. They really like digging into modern family dynamics and really digging in and examining it uh, in all of its uh, messiness. Modern messiness. is that That's what they're into. And that's sort of what Evan Hansen is about. Uh, the main character uh, played by Bim Platt is sort of a nobody. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets passed over by uh pretty much everybody he's sort of non-existent and uh a a student at his school commits suicide and people mistakenly believe that he was his best friend and he starts receiving a lot of attention because of this and he he tries to deal with it in an honest way and he tries to deal with it in a way that um best supports the people around him and hopefully makes mm-hmm. them feel better but in in his attempts to do so he fucks everything up and things keep getting worse and worse um it's really exceptional mm-hmm. really interesting
2: um and Bim Platt is phenomenal yeah, uh, we had we were buying merchandise, such as the shirt that I'm seeing at the, you're seeing on me in this moment. If you're watching the video, um, in the in the, it was the the merchandise booth was set up at the back of the orchestra of the theater, and as we're standing there buying this merchandise, he actually uh, with the help of security left the theater uh, incognito, baseball hat, you know, sunglasses, the whole nine yards, uh, and we're just like that was Ben Platt that just went by. <laughs> um, justifiably so, because this was after the matinee, meaning he had about four hours to recharge his batteries to do it all over again. Yeah. And so I hope, he, I hope he finds a quiet place to kind of chill for those hours and, and recharge. If you get the chance to see the show with him in it in particular, uh, give it a go. And congratulations to Pasek and Paul for getting the Tony this year, mm-hmm. um, which means now they've got a Tony and an Oscar, and if they can get a Grammy and an Emmy, well, they get that EGOT. Yep. So, fingers crossed. Okay, what's next? Saturday evening, because we did see a show in every available slot that was possible. Exactly. We bypassed no opportunity to sit in a theater. <laughs> uh, we went to the all-do Groundhog Day, the musical, which is based on the film of the same name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exactly what you think it is. Uh, whether a man goes to wherever in Pennsylvania that is, yes. Poxitani. Poxitani. Um and to cover the Groundhog Day, and he keeps reliving that day over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again until he finally gets it right. Yeah. Uh, we went to this. Well, I went to this. I've never seen the movie because um, it's not my kind of film. But I went because the lead actor is Andy Carl, and we love Andy Carl. Mm-hmm. Um, and have, since we saw him back in Legally Blonde, I think might have been our first Andy Carl. Yeah. M- million, million, million years ago. ago um he was absolutely exceptional in
0: Rocky yes, which sounds ridiculous to say. I know trust me I do understand your your <laughs> incredulity um but uh, he was remarkable. Rocky was a really interesting show uh, and
2: he was amazing. He's also really damn good in this one too. Yeah. Um, got to sit through one of the very few technical stops that we've ever seen in a show. Uh, despite the fact that the show's been open for a couple months now, they actually had some scenic issues and they had to bring a stop to the show late in act one. Uh, which for me was a turning point in the show because I thought they were, they spent a little too much time on the setup that yes, he is stuck in this moment. Oh my God, it's horrible. And I was ready to move on from that. And thankfully after this incident, uh, that stopped the show for a moment, the show really picked up and took off for me in act two.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, yes, you make a valid point. Um, uh, they do take a bit of time uh, with the setup. Uh, Phil, the main character, is a dick. Um, Several of the characters in the show say this outright. Um, (laughs) And while it takes a while for him to get to Poxitani, deal with Groundhog Day, realize that he's reliving the same day over and over again, uh, and... uh, at Late in the first act, he realizes that um, this is a unique opportunity uh, Mm -hmm. uh, to live out uh, various scenarios in ways that he never could before. Uh, So the show, uh, we were kind of meh at the very, very beginning, uh, but once... Phil has his realization. uh, It gets a whole lot better. And we really, really enjoyed the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Kudos to the design team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, actually, the entire production team. Because they take a very difficult concept and execute it nearly flawlessly (laughs) um the simple fact that he's reliving the same day over and over several times could lead to uh some uh genuinely boring repetition uh but the show uh escapes that uh with uh some very deft scripting and uh very deft staging um it's a remarkably staged show uh, beautifully designed. There is a hilarious sequence at the beginning of act two where Phil is very despondent about having to relive this day over and over again. So he kills himself several times <laughs> In a row during the course of a particular song. And uh, he's reborn again in the same bed every single morning. Uh, And the way they pull this off is pretty remarkable. Uh, Really, really lovely and well done. The the staging uh, utilizes um, a turntable. Which is really nothing new in Broadway. Name uh, is kind of yes, kicked that off for us. Lame is a whole, back mu- in the day. whole bunch of other shows that, w- that we saw, even Hello, Do- Hello Dolly and mm-hmm. uh, Hamilton, of course, all use turntables. Uh, this one was particularly unique in that there was a main stage giant round table uh, that's used throughout the production, but there were also several smaller. Turntables within the larger turntable. Uh, they utilize this brilliantly uh, in the sequence where uh, Andy and some drunken friends from the bar uh, go for a joyride, and uh, there's a police chase.
2: <laughs> it's hilarious and so amazingly staged.
0: <laughs> the police, a police chase through this small town. Uh, also, they use the turntable in Act Two. To recreate a tilt world whirl mm-hmm. uh, very convincingly uh, on a Broadway stage, so not only is the show uh, really funny and very charming, uh, it's uh, really well staged. So
2: yeah, I was particularly pleased, pleased and intrigued with the staging where how how they get him back to that bed sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's like To wait. start the day over. It's like, yeah. wait, he was just over there. How is he over here? Yeah. And I know it was him because he was talking and yet he's back over here now. <laughs> I only that happened like four or five times, but there's only once where I clearly saw how the transition happened, and it was just brilliant. Yeah. Um so next up on Sunday afternoon, I spent my birthday, because Sunday the twenty fifth was my birthday. We spent it with Glenn Close, uh, and her closing performance of the limited engagement of Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard never got to play music rights for that. (laughs) Uh, This is my at least second time to see Glenn, because I'm a little fuzzy if I saw her do this on Broadway, because I saw her 20-something years ago do this in Los Angeles in the American North American premiere production of it. Um, And we also, I've seen it with Betty Buckley, and we've both seen it together with Elaine Page on Broadway. This is my favorite production of it, the stripped down uh, where it's, The whole set is scaffolding. You've got a 40-piece orchestra, which was so just amazing to hear because while you hear live music all the time on Broadway, the orchestras are never this big. Not even for something like Hello, Dolly! do they come close to a 40-piece orchestra anymore. Um, Glenn Close, I think, plays this role better than ever. She certainly sings it better than ever. She's made it very public knowledge that she learned how to sing to do this role 20 years ago. And she sings it better now than she ever did then. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was captivated. I loved that it was stripped down and there was none of this mansion dropping from the fly space of the theater and all these elaborate movie sets. It was all done on a scaffolding. It was all very um, stripped down, bare bones, uh, prop pieces. um it was, it, was, it was a sumptuous afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the end and... Sumptuous. Sumptuous, yes. <laughs> uh, we actually got to see Andrew Lloyd Webber because he brought her flowers out on the stage uh, for the closing, which was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know what Sunset Boulevard is,
0: it is Andrew Lloyd Webber's uh, musicalization of the 1950s sort of noir melodrama about uh, essentially washed up, Silent movie star and her attempt, essentially, at a comeback. It's a return. It's a return. (laughs) Anyway, uh, the movie is uh, pure classic, pure genius, Uh, and I have always really enjoyed this particular show. I think it is Andrew Lloyd Webber's most lush and Mm -hmm. cinematic score, Mm -hmm. and as Jeff mentioned, it was a genuine treat to hear it. With a full 40 piece orchestra. Um, this pr- particular production, this revival, was considered stripped down, but that by no means means it was small.
2: No. <laughs> um,
0: with their ginormous orchestra and a, a complex multi level set, um, it's still very big. They still had a huge cast. Uh, And they didn't scrimp on anything. Um, It was just sort of a different interpretation, I would say, of the
2: material. I think you only consider it stripped down if you go from (laughs) From the. Here's a a mansion (laughs) dropping from the the rafters of the theater. I know. It's crazy. To scaffolding and stairs. (laughs) I know. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Needless to say, uh, Glenn was remarkable, uh, truly wonderful. we have had uh, several different versions of the cast albums mm-hmm. over the years. There have been many different recordings of Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. The most complete, I believe, was Glenn's version, the US Broadway
2: CD. There's a. Tw- yes and no. Hers is the most correct recording of the current staging. That's true. That's true. The Petalapone London version does have. Material that didn't make it to the States. Yes. Yes. And then there are stripped-down versions. There's a Canadian one-disc version with Diane Carroll. Diane
0: Carrol, Carol. yes. Which is
2: really good. It's really, really good. And then Betty Buckley did a, essentially a sampler CD of of the big Key, big Norma songs. Key Norma songs from yeah. when she was... And I have Norma. them all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, yes, I, uh, I agree with Jeff. I have always... I've loved the the original recording. I've never seen Glenn do the show before, uh, and to get to see her to do it live, real and in person, was a definite treat.
2: I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, so it was just remarkable. Awesome. Saturday after well evening because we walked out of Sunset Boulevard. It's like, should we see something else? Of course, we should. And what a stupid question. <laughs> well, for a while we thought we were going to chill. Yeah. Because there's just a handful of things available to see on a Sunday evening yeah. in New York, which is typically the most a lot of the shows are dark. Yeah. Um, I talked Will really into going back to see cats. Meow. Because, you know, <laughs> it was just September that I talked about it, seeing it on this show when the, when the revival was early in its run back in New York. And it's still magical to me. Uh, I love seeing uh, Ricky Ubdea again play Mr. Mistopheles. and it's got even more. So you think you dance people in it now because Jacob Carr's in it, uh, which was very cool to see, and I loved it. Now the big question is: you, who have always pretty much hated Cats and have only seen it once before, right before it left the Winter Garden back in the two thousands, what did you think of your return visit? Um. Yes while i adore andrew's sunset boulevard
0: uh cats is definitely not my favorite (laughs) so we'll just leave it at that um i was i was uh not enchanted by the original production uh but i had a you know rough idea of what i was getting myself in for by going back Uh, Jeff loves it. It was his birthday. I kind of humored him. He did. Um, (laughs) uh, And I actually kind of had fun. I think I understand dance a little bit more than when I saw this, you know, over 15 years ago, originally. So I was in, I was able to enjoy that aspect a little bit more. Um, I still, you know, I'm still not crazy about the show itself. I mean, it has the barest whisper of a plot. And it's essentially, you know, three big songs and then they get reprised over and over again. So Until the kitty goes to heaven. Until the kitty goes to heaven in attire. Um, So, uh, I'm not crazy about the show, but I did actually think this was a really well put together production. Um, I actually thought Andy... Blankenbuehler, bringing his name up once again. Mm -hmm. Um, He did the choreography this time around. Uh, I'm not sure what his credit actually reads, if it wasn't inspired by the original... I think that's the idea, yeah. um, Andy's new choreography is still uh, very true to the original uh, 80s choreography by Gillian Lynn, I believe. Um, It sort of it sort of sands down that very 80s cats feel. Mm. Okay. It's not it's not as you know uh uh plié, head pop, jazz hands kind of <laughs> 80s-ness. Um I mean it's still very much cats, that's unmistakable, but I think he kind of softened that the dated quality
1: mm.
0: that it has had in the in the past. Um, so, it, while this production isn't, you know, completely reimagined, I think... No, not by a long shot. I think it's, uh, uh, uh what's the word? A uh, a solid production for a new generation. A
1: brush to How's
0: that for a... That's a good tagline. A, a good tagline or a blurb, yeah. yeah.
2: I enjoyed it. It was pretty darn good. See, he, he didn't roll his eyes the entire time <laughs> he was sitting there I did not. for the show. <laughs> so we capped off on Monday with, uh... A trip to the Metropolitan Opera House to see American Ballet Theatre and its premiere production for this season called Whipped Cream, mm-hmm. probably the strangest production we've ever seen <laughs> um, of, at American Ballet Theatre. That is true. Um, takes place in a candy shop as this has as the boy uh, has a little too much whipped cream and has to go off to the hospital because you know he's his tummy got upset. Uh, in Act One, you basically see the candy shop come to life and and have some whimsy with that. Uh, in Act, is it Act Two that we're primarily at the doctor's office? No, we're still in the Candyland in Act Two mm-hmm. uh, for some more whimsicalness going on there. Uh, and th- those parts of the show actually made me think of the Nutcracker. Um, and some of the stuff that goes on in a show like that. Mm-hmm. And then the third act is a little dark as we see some of goings-on in the hospital before the boy is whisked away to live a magical life over in Candyland. Mm-hmm. A little bit like Cat's. Boy has too much whipped cream, goes off to the, goes off to Candy Heaven. <laughs> Something like that. Um, I didn't really say that, ABT. I'm sorry. Like, like Jeff <laughs> said,
0: there are a lot of similarities to... Uh, The Nutcracker. It is sort of a fantasy ballet with themes that uh, children would enjoy. Um, This um, production was choreographed by Alexei Radomatsky. He's sort of their... uh, I think he's their artistic director and guest artistic director or something. Yeah, he's the guy who uh, does all of their new work. Uh, He usually um, premieres a new ballet every season, and this was... uh, uh, 2017s, mm-hmm. um, the music by, was, uh, by Strauss, uh, sort of, um, not forgotten, but a, uh, I don't know what other word to use, uh, not frequently heard. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>
2: underappreciated.
0: Under, maybe an underappreciated <laughs> libretto by Strauss. Uh, what made this, um... Ballet so strange and fantastical was the production and costume design by. Uh, I'm trying, well, I'm looking at trying to find his names. Mark Ryden, uh, by pop artist Mark Ryden. How, if you saw his work, you would probably recognize it. Um, it's really beautifully strange. Try to imagine if. <laughs> um, Let's see. How can I describe him? So imagine if Tim Burton worked in sort of a 60s pop palette with pink and blue pastels. Okay. um, With really weird fantastical creatures thrown in. And uh, that's what it sort of reminded me of. So,
2: yeah. Okay. I can see that. (laughs) We had an excellent cast for this evening. Uh, Misty Copeland... Was on deck, Corey Stearns, um, Jeffrey Ciro was the boy. Uh, I It was whimsically and I enjoyed it. And it was kind of fun to see something not in their usual repertoire for us. Because usually we see, when we go, we see some of their classic pieces the Romeo and Juliets, the Swan Lakes, the Giselles, the O'Neigans, and that sort of thing. And this was like just completely different.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Weird, wonderful uh, night at the ballet. Indeed. Wrapped up our trip uh, pretty well, because early, early, early the next morning, we were back on a plane.
0: hmm
2: And we made it home. And we made it home. Super sound. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Now we've told you all about it. So heading back to the books, now that we've done something totally different for the last 30 minutes or so, uh, we do have Brandlyn with us to talk about an ebook that she's got recommendations for for this summer. So I'm pleased to welcome back Brandilyn into the podcast. How's it going?
4: It's going. It's been a while.
2: It has been. Yeah. We've had a little gap between, with RT and everything going on. Had a gap getting some of our, our favorite contributors back.
4: Yeah. So, That's because you've been popular and busy and stuff. It's all good.
2: <laughs> what have you got for a summertime reading recommendation for our listeners?
4: Um well, it's a reading slash listening recommendation because, you know, me, audiobooks, all that. Um, it is called The Game Changer, and it is by Kay Simone. The audio is read by the incomparable uh, Greg Tremblay. So, yeah, that man could read me the phone book, and he is honestly the reason I picked this one up, because I needed a new Greg Tremblay book to listen to. Um and the book really surprised me. Um, it's a, out for you. Um, one of the character it's a a football player and a physical therapist. I am not a sports romance person, so I'm not like, Oh, it's a football player. You must read it. Um, I was actually leery of it because it was a sports romance. Um, but a, the football player is not a douche, which is always a plus. And it's not insta-love. It is not insta-happy. They work for their happily ever after. They work very hard. They make stupid mistakes. Um, they have stupid things happen to them. They have bad... But it's not a tearjerker. So it's a great beach read. Um, if you're driving on vacation, it's a great listen. If you don't have small children, because it's, you know, still a... <laughs> gay romance. Um, and yeah, so The Game Changer by Kay Simone. Pick it up. Listen to it. It's way better than the phone book. But, <laughs> I love what yeah. you said about
2: it's, Greg. I think it's it's awesome that we're seeing our the narrators in our genre, Greg and Joel and Derek and some others, where mm-hmm. people will buy their books because of who's narrating it, not necessarily because of who's writing it.
4: Yeah. Well, and... and Absolutely. Uh, Especially the three you mentioned, um, they have a following. They, they have their own following and they, the three of those, the three of them, Joel, Derek, and, and Greg, a, they're all fabulous individuals. Um, having had the pleasure of meeting all of them, but, um, they all have very different voices and they bring something very different to each story and they're there are stories that I read an ebook years ago and thought were okay, and then I listened to one of their um, audios and was absolutely blown away. Um, one of them that comes to mind is another Greg Tremblay book, uh, *The Servant* by Mary Comay. I I picked it up because it was Greg. I, I like the story. I like Mary Comay, but it wasn't my favorite. And I've now listened to it ten times because he just absolutely nailed it and blew me away so if you haven't tried audiobooks i love them i know you listen yes. and I, I know will listens but um yeah so yeah try the game changer by Kay simone narrated by greg Tremblay. but hey if you don't want the audiobook i believe it's in ku but i'm not positive but i think it is if i remember correctly so
2: we will link up really? to both versions of the book and we'll, we'll link up to Mary's book as well and, and Greg's audio uh, library oh. on Audible so people can go check him out too. Absolutely. All right, Brandon. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us for a few minutes and we'll try to get you on much in, in a quicker <laughs> fashion going forward because we like having
1: yeah. you on. Can a backstage flirtation lead to real-life romance? That's the question in Love's Opening Night, the gay romance novella by Jeff Adams. Jeremy Steele is a veteran Broadway performer. For his latest role, he's dancing alongside a man he's fantasized about for years, TV star Ty Beaumont. Jeremy knows better than to get involved with a castmate, but when Ty has trouble learning the complicated choreography, Jeremy offers to lend a hand. When a rehearsal kiss turns into something more, Jeremy can't help but wonder what a celebrity like Ty could ever see in a Broadway chorus boy like him. Will a relationship with his crush make it past previews, or can it become a long-running hit? Love's Opening Night by Jeff Adams is available at DreamSpinnerPress.com, Amazon.com, and other ebook retailers. Pick up yours now. So that's going to do it for this week, because we've talked to your ear off now for over
2: an hour. Uh, Kim Fielding, don't forget, she's got a rafflecopter on this week's show notes page for the chance to win both an ebook and an audiobook. So get there before this Sunday and get your entries to win. Coming up next week in episode number 92, Kat
0: Sebastian is here to join us, and she's going to talk about her historical romances, including the newly released Ruin of a Rake. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking to her. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Until next time, guys, keep
1: reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.